0: Spoil the moms in your life with clean vegan skin and body care from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site wide with the code YOGA at Oseamalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order and free shipping on orders over $60. Head to Oseamalibu.com and use the code YOGA for 10% off. I love sparkling drinks, but when it comes to these beverages, it's important for me to be mindful with what I'm putting into my body. I only want to consume natural and healthy ingredients, not sodas that are full of syrup and processed sugars. Luckily, there is a way for me to enjoy the fizz and the flavor without all the unhealthy extras. Even down here in Aruba, I drink La Croix sparkling water. La Croix is a delicious sparkling water beverage that's calorie, sweetener and sodium free. All natural and environmentally friendly, you'll find nothing in it that's artificial at all. The ingredients simply include carbonated water and natural flavors. These natural flavors are deliciously derived from the essence oils of each fruit. And of course, LaCroix checks all the other boxes too. It's gluten free, vegan, non GMO, and kosher. They have 14 of the best flavors ever. There's key lime, tangerine, mango, apricot, peach pear, the list goes on. LaCroix's coconut flavor is the best one to sip on the beach, and the lemon flavor makes me feel super refreshed after a sweaty yoga class. On top of that, the LaCroix family also includes the six curate flavors, with delicious mixes of fruits like kiwi watermelon, blackberry cucumber, and cantaloupe pink grapefruit. For my listeners in the U.S., LaCroix is available nationwide. For more information, join the LaCroix community on their social channels at LaCroix Water or check them out at LaCroixWater.com. That's spelled L-A-C-R-O-I-X Water.com for all their information and a full list of retailers. Quench your thirst today with delicious, healthy, sparkling water from LaCroix. A healthier alternative for you and your lifestyle. Hi, and welcome to another episode of From the Heart, Conversations with Yoga Girl. I am so happy to welcome this very special next guest on the show. She is a writer, speaker, educator, currently a student at Columbia University, and chances are you have already come across her writing through social media. Her work is centered around educating white women, like myself, on how we can in genuine, dedicated ways support women of color. She is shedding light on important issues like systematic racism, spiritual bypassing, and much more terms that if you don't know them yet you are about to learn all about. Here to talk to us today about intersectional feminism and more, Rachel Cargill. Welcome to the show. Hi
1: thank you so 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 much.
0: Hey so so happy to have you here. This feels like an anticipated talk.
1: It has (laughs) been an anticipated very much so.
0: I know I mean we've only been talking for I don't know how I don't know a little over a month maybe but it feels like a much longer time than that. Yeah both of
1: our followers have been waiting for this.
0: Yes, yes, I'm so so honored to have you on the show. Thank you for taking the time to to talk to us today. Um, so this the name of this show is from the heart. So before we dive into to everything, just speaking from
1: the heart in this moment right now, how are you doing? I'm doing really well. I just got back from some traveling. And so I'm just really happy to be back in New York City. I say that I am just as happy flying back home as I am flying out. And so I'm just really happy to be home after having such a great trip.
0: I, I know that feeling so well. Ugh, coming home is almost sometimes better. Yeah, yeah. Seriously, <laughs> that's how I feel. At least, seriously, <laughs> that's how you know you live in you live in the right place right. if you feel that way, right? For sure. So, um, for someone who might be listening right now, so we're about to talk about some really serious topics um, that are, I feel very current in the the media and in social media right now, which is a uh, super important thing and that we're having this conversation. Uh, For someone who doesn't know you or maybe are being introduced to you right now for the first time, maybe they don't follow you on social media yet. um, Could you share a little bit about how you came to do this type of work?
1: Yeah, well, it's really interesting because I often get asked how I came to really speak on race issues. And the truth is being born as a black woman, you really don't have a choice. You're out here trying to exist in a world, especially in America in particular, that wasn't really built to support you or to acknowledge you or to honor you or to really ensure that. You have the things that you need in this country. So I kind of was born into this work, but then recently, as as I began to write more, and started to have more conversation with others about what this experience is like, as well as getting into very frank conversation with the white women in my world about how I needed to be supported um, as a black woman and the other black women in my community. Really, the Trump election kicked off this conversation in a way that I don't think it's been had in a very long time, specifically because a lot of white women were all of a sudden feeling vulnerable in a way that they had never been before. And then something clicked in them to say, wow, wait, black women have been feeling this way for a very long time. Minorities have been feeling this way for a very long time. And so it created a space for me to really slide in and say, you know what, you're absolutely right. Let's talk about this a little deeper.
0: So has it gotten significantly worse with the Trump administration, or is it just that um, it's more out in the open. Yeah. It's the same this, issues.
1: Yeah. The same issues that have been going on for generations and generations. It's just that all of a sudden there's this heightened awareness of it with everyone being in a very scary, vulnerable place with the administration that's in office right now. And it really opened up a lot of opportunity for conversation to say, okay, see how you're feeling. Now use that energy to ensure that no one feels this way, not just you. And so um, it's just a very interesting time in history where the conversation is more open, but also it's a chance to really reflect on how much this conversation has been needed for so, so long. For such a long time. And
0: it's, uh, you know, this is a very, uh, very current thing and very much at the surface in the US right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, About half of the people that listen to this podcast are not in the US, but from, yeah, from Europe and and Brazil and, you know, all over the world. Um, But these conversations are being had and these um, surfacing situations are happening all over the world. It's not just in the US. Yeah. In uh, Sweden, for instance, where I'm from, uh, we have elections coming up now. uh, And there is uh, the Swedish Democrat which is i don't know what to compare them to even with um uh, <laughs> we yeah. them to, to a party in the u.s but it's very much a racist party and just saying that out loud i know there's going to be swedish people listening that say oh no you know that's not the case but for for anyone who's listening know that it's very much a racist um party and they are gaining extreme traction um right now um do you have you had a sense of this sort of international climate, so not just speaking from this American standpoint, but that um, reasoning why there's a wave of this
1: happening right now all over the world? I have had so much interaction with a lot of my international followers, and it's something that as I began to travel once I became an adult, I realized that it seems like international communities know way more about the U.S. than we know about other places. Maybe it has to do with our education system or just our values here. I don't know. It's very interesting. But once I began to engage with people outside of the U.S., I realized that there was so much that we were all dealing with in the same way. I actually am friends with um, an incredible woman, a black woman who lives in Sweden, and she has been keeping me up on a lot of the things that are happening there. And it seems like it's all the same. I think that there's just this obvious colorism that the darker you are, the more discriminated against you are, regardless of what country you're in, and that um, lends itself to just this international white supremacy that needs to be dismantled across the world.
0: Yes, absolutely. And uh, and uh, speaking as a as a white woman, and you know, born and raised in Sweden, uh, in Sweden, I think we have these conversations. Uh, I don't know if it's a lot more. I don't want to generalize and then what it's like the difference from, from growing up in the US. But at least the way I grew up in uh, in, in kind of downtown Stockholm, uh, all my friends growing up, everyone was from completely different places. We've had so much immigration for so many generations in Sweden. So uh, it was always very mixed, at least that's how I grew up. So I kind of have always had this sense that I'm realizing now like, oh, but I'm colorblind. Like I grew up and my best friend was from there and there and there and there. So, you know, I am not like these white people that uh, that marginalize or that have racist views, but they don't know about it. I've really had this, um, yeah, I, I've had a, a, an upbringing that brought me to this place of, of, I think, being a little bit delusional in how I show up actually, how my actions show up to the outside world, because uh, the fact that you and I are having this conversation right now, it's for me um, conversations that I've had internally. So with my friends, with my family, and specifically within my business within the yoga world, but not out loud uh, on how can we have more diversity in our our business, in our yoga retreats, in our teacher trainings. And it's been really obvious already for the past two years. We have very, very few people of color that attend our groups um, here at the studio that I run. So it's mostly white women that come to my trainings. And I have been really aware that this is an issue, but I've been terrified to speak it out loud. Uh, I've been so scared that, okay, if I say that out loud, am I going to be faced with the fact that I'm doing something wrong? Like it's a very obvious, am I doing something racist? And that's why we're not having women of color attend the trainings. Um, And I haven't had these conversations with people of color either. So it's been this sort of, white people talking to white people here in my own community of how can we get more diversity at our trainings Um, but I haven't spoken it out loud and it wasn't until um, yeah a few weeks ago when uh, Nia Wilson was murdered that I, I shared a post for the very first time kind of trying to Yeah, I don't know. In a, in a humble way, somehow, uh, talk about my ignorance and ask for help. And then I was introduced to your work for the first time, which, you know, led us to, to this conversation. So I guess what I'm getting at, and this is also a question we received from so many people through social media. How can white women in white communities, um, have these conversations in an easier way?
1: I think easy needs to be a word that's taken out of the conversation because I don't think it will ever, ever be easy. But I think one really important thing that you just brought up in sharing your own story is that there's such a deep danger in feeling colorblind, as you said, or in feeling like you're not part of the problem or feeling that you're somehow um, excluded from the group of white people who, you know, aren't part of this supremacy that has taken over the whole world and marginalized and really hurt so many people of color. And so I think that that recognition is so important to say, okay, I have white skin, which means that I have white privilege, which means I need to really take into consideration how I experience that and how I use it in order to ensure that People who don't look like me are being heard and acknowledged and held up in the best way that I can do it. That looks, and you know, sometimes it looks like just within your home or within your community, but also it means being loud and disrupting um, really important spaces. And so I think that acknowledgement is really important. And like you said, there's this like underlying fear of using the word racist. Racist isn't a bad word. It's it's a thing, and you'll accept and say, "Oh my gosh, I've done something racist." Being called racist is not the worst thing that can happen to someone. There's a lot of worse things that can happen and those worse things usually happen to people of color to be called racist or to be called out on your racist actions or thoughts or ideas are an opportunity for you to sit back and say wow there's this entire system in the world that's been built around me and I happen to be born into a space to benefit from it. So I need to sit back and look at how race plays a role in my life, and if you're white, you're on the benefiting side of that. And you need to really sit with the word race, say it out loud, say have an understanding of where you fit into it. And so I think really um, people working out of their discomfort. It's not okay to not have the conversation because you're uncomfortable. And so I think that's one of the first parts is just saying like, wow. I'm white in a racist society. I'm benefiting from it. Where do I go from here? And I think having that acceptance, when you start to break those walls down of just being defensive around the topic of race, that's when real work can be done because as long as you're still sitting in your ego of not wanting to be called out or not wanting to be called in or not wanting to you know accept the fact that this is the reality, whether you asked for it or not, people often say, well, I didn't ask to be right and I didn't ask to be black, but here we are. So we need to start having these conversations um, from a lens of truth instead of from trying to look at it from a lens of comfort.
0: Yes, yes. And I think that that's, um, this idea that I've had that oh I am completely colorblind and and uh, I, I live in Aruba which is a really small community we only have a hundred thousand people here but there are 83 nationalities so in my day-to-day uh, it's just it's just not something that I think about a lot so whenever I would uh, and I have gotten those comments in social media like whenever I share a, a photo of a big group of say 55 uh, graduates from a training like oh and we're so proud of these you know YTT graduates congratulations and then someone comments like oh that's a lot of white women yeah and you Immediately, my sense, you know, and I, I, w- I would get sort of triggered by that as in, as in, but is that my fault? Like, I'm white, I'm attracting white people. Uh, and I'm realizing now how ridiculous it was that I didn't already from that first moment I was ever, uh, I ever had a comment like that in my feed go, Oh, wait, it, what can I do about that? Instead yeah. of just get uncomfortable and yeah. say, "But I'm white," so I, I you know, think it's that's not my
1: fault. And I think one thing that's really important in that sense is that um, when you were saying, you know, when you were growing when you were growing up in your hometown, and every you were colorblind because you didn't have to think about it. That's the privilege in itself. You didn't have to think about it, but I'm sure some of the other people in your community had to think about it, and it was something that they thought about every day. And one other thing I wanted to speak to: I'm um, talking about your trainings and thinking how you see. You know, you're so proud to put out these photos and then someone will come in and say oh my gosh that's a lot of white people. It often we would be naturally triggered, I think I don't want to use the word triggered. We would be naturally aware when we see all male spaces. When we see a photo coming out of if we saw if we saw a photo of a graduating class of a university and it was all male, we'd be like, "Um, wait. Like this is not okay." We would all I think there would be an automatic questioning of what's going on. And I think that it's time for white women who would naturally be aware of a um, situation based on our sex or our gender to really start considering those same thought lines looking at race
0: I, I, I completely agree and I and I'm realizing now this different level of consciousness that this has brought um, into my entire perception of, of everything. Exactly the way you say it, if I would ever see a group. Um, for instance, a really tangible um, example is this this past weekend, I attended a three-day conference uh, here in Aruba on uh, child abuse. Mm. It was really intense, but there was a big panel of speakers there. And normally I have that looking of, oh, how many women are here? Mm-hmm. Immediately, that's sort of, I have that in the back of my head. And I count and I'm like, oh, okay, you know, this is pretty, pretty equal women, men. Uh, and then for the first time, I caught myself really, Checking in. Wait, how many how many speakers are of color here in this uh, you know Caribbean part of the world, which is not exactly a, <laughs> a native white place? Uh, there were two people of color and a, a nine. Isn't that wild? Panelists, it's, it's so wild. First, it blew my mind. It completely blew my, blew my mind. Wait, what? And here we are, and it's all Caribbean. And then you know, they blew my mind again. That wait, how how many other situations have I been in where I didn't notice? Yeah, or I didn't think about it. So, I mean, I'm sitting here today. There's a lot of people that 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 listen to this podcast. I'm just, I feel equally ashamed, really, from having had this this ignorance. Really, having having had this ignorant looking to the outside world, especially being in the line of work that I that I am. I mean, it's 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 something that that we talk about so often in terms of in terms of diversity and equality. But for me, it's been a feminist thing and women and men and, and, uh, helping people in poverty and, 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 things like that. I haven't had this racial outlook and I think I haven't had it because I've had this idea that, Oh, but I don't see color that way because yeah. of how I was brought up or, or whatever, which I'm realizing now is just probably more dangerous yeah, than, than for anything sure. else. Um, so I would love to, to invite, you know, anyone listening, especially white women listening, uh, if you have that idea of, Oh, but I don't, there's no difference, uh, there is a difference. <laughs> and if we, and it's know, a privilege in itself to feel that way. It's a privilege in itself to, to not have to notice, to not have to notice, to not have yeah. to notice. No, it's it's a huge thing. Um, So getting deeper into this, because uh, something that, that immediately happened after I think we did a little tag in an Instagram story, or oh, we're going to have this conversation. And I'm excited to learn from women of color to ask questions to ask for help, because I've been worried, okay, what if we Uh, we've actually had that conversation we had a meeting on this at the studio where I had the question okay if we offer our teacher training uh, to a discount or we have a quota of spots that are only you know designated for women of color or people of color is that in itself racist to say oh wait you have a different color of skin than my general demographic so I'm going to do something specific for you and even though I'm realizing now like yeah that would probably is not a probably is not a bad idea. Um, The fear of it being racist made me do nothing.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of people speak on um, they'd rather do nothing than be wrong. And I think that's such a... um, problematic way to think because if we think about it in any other case in any other social justice situation that would never be the answer the answer would never be don't do anything if it's you know like that would never be the way that we feel we need to take action and I think that it's fair to do research there's there's a we have the world in our hands at this point. And um, I've been doing so much studying on race issues from the past just to kind of get an understanding of where we are now and what I'm fighting for in context with things that have happened over time. And there's just so much information of how things have been done over time. And it's fair for people to really start digging in and figuring out what has worked, what hasn't, reach out to each other, reach out and ask questions. Um, I mean, there's always a conversation on social media, especially mine and other activists to say, you know, it's not a black woman's job to teach you how to respect her or teach you how to be a decent human being in terms of race. And um, I am often going out to speak and answer questions, but this is my work. Um, I I would never expect every black woman to go out and be an educator on this. This just happens to be the work that I was given and that I am very happy and proud and um, equipped to do. But I think as far as ensuring that you're listening to women who are to women of color who are teaching, reading books, um, doing the work on your own to ensure that you have the deepest knowledge you can at any point in time and act accordingly. And if you mess up, change it and do it better next time. Learn how to apologize. One thing I've seen from white women over and over, especially in this situation of race, is that they've been conditional act allies. They've been conditional allies as long as they're comfortable, as long as they feel like they're doing things right, and as long as they um, are getting, I don't know, somewhat some kind of praise that makes them feel comfortable. And so I want to challenge white women, get uncomfortable, figure it out, um, be willing to make mistakes for the sake of continuing forward and doing better, and learn how to apologize, to say, wow, I see what you're saying. My intent doesn't erase my impact, and I'm going to listen. I'm going to learn better and do Better next time. You are listening to From the Heart Conversations with Yoga Girl. My
0: morning routine involves me waking up at five in the morning to start my day with journaling, meditation, and moving my body. If you start your mornings rooting yourself into a foundation of peace, I promise it will change the entire day ahead. But in order to wake up in the right space, it's crucial to be well rested from the night before. In fact, for my listeners in the US, one third of you are not getting a good night's sleep. This is especially detrimental to those who live active lifestyle. But there's a mattress company out there dedicated to changing all of that called Molecule. Molecule is not your average mattress. These mattresses are air engineered from the ground up and designed for maximum airflow. Up to three times the airflow of the nearest competitors to bring you the coolest night's sleep around. Even in the hot nights of Aruba, this mattress helps me stay cool to maximize my deepest, most restorative sleep cycles. I wake up feeling refreshed and energized even before the sun. Built for active lifestyles, Molecule mattresses were designed with the support of renowned neurologists and sleep doctors and are the favorites of professional athletes across the United States, like Nastia Lukin, Ryan and Sarah Hall, Russell Wilson, and Tom Brady. Rest easy knowing that Molecule mattresses are manufactured using patented technology that reduces emissions by 97% compared to traditional manufacturing. Plus, all Molecule foam is pure US certified and manufactured in the USA. Try Molecule mattresses risk-free for 100 nights. If you're not getting the coolest sleep of your life, we'll take it back. No questions asked. And right now, get $250 off of any Molecule mattress. Just go to onmolecule.com/yogagirl to begin you getting the best sleep of your life. That's onmolecule.com/yogagirl. Molecule, optimal sleep for optimal performance. Sometimes in life, skepticism can serve you well. rituals essential for women is usp verified so you know you can trust what you're putting in your body only about one percent of supplement brands on the market have the usp verified mark which shows the product contains the ingredients actually listed on the label on top of that ritual multivitamins are vegan non-gmo project verified gluten and major allergen free certified b corp and made traceable Let's uh, talk about tone policing. Uh, so we have a couple of terms, a couple of um, really important terms to learn uh, that I think are, in in some ways, at least in my recent social media fees, I've seen cause a lot of confusion. And uh, a big piece of the questions I got for you today were on tone policing specifically. Yeah. Uh, could you explain just just to us what does it mean to tone police someone?
1: Yeah. So what tone policing is is um, there's often situations will where white women will come into a black woman's space and and I'll speak on my own behalf because it's happened to me at least once a day, where white women come into my space and say, hey, I really want to hear what you have to say, but it sounds like you're being really aggressive. Maybe if you spoke a little nicer, more people would want to hear from you. Or maybe if you weren't um, making me feel so bad about being white, I would actually want to be an ally to you. So tone policing is when you're coming in and you're telling Black women to change their tone in order to make you more comfortable to hear what they have to say. And that is not okay. And it also shows in the way that and I brought this up in a post that I made recently is that I personally am a very well-spoken, very well-written, Ivy League educated um, by, you know, societal beauty standards. I'm attractive. I And and I've been claimed as easy to listen to. My message is palatable because all of those things that make me um, someone who people might want to hear from. But that shouldn't be the case. Any black woman in any space looking any way who might not be as well spoken, who might be loud and angry and enraged, who might not be as well written, she deserves to be heard too. And so if you're only receptive to the people that make you feel okay, you're not really an ally, you're still sitting in your comfort. And so tone policing is really just the word that we use when we're trying to explain to someone that they're coming into our space and telling us how we need to talk about our pain in order to make them more comfortable
0: and this has been something that um it's been a very very uh, i think the peak of this conversation that has happened in my social media feed over the past couple of weeks this has been one of the main issues and also uh and i was really i really really on 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 one end of this where i right now i don't know if if i did something right or wrong and i'm still i'm still i'm still sitting with this but so uh, you and i uh, kind of sharing with the social media world that we were going to talk to each other uh immediately sparked us a different conversation or a related conversation on the topic of cultural appropriation and yoga, yeah, uh, which is a conversation that, that, that you know I'm, I'm not blind to this topic. We 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 have it all the time, um, not in this uncomfortable way though. I want I want to point that out. Um, so it's it's not something that I'm new to. I, I used to wear a bindi like five six years ago. I've I've learned and grown since I was since I was in my early twenties, kind of new to this whole um, everything that I associated as tools to the lifestyle of this practice. Um, and the first time someone ever told me that, oh, hey, wearing a bindi is cultural appropriation, I was really offended and really upset and couldn't understand how something that I was doing with, uh, with reverence and respect, I thought, could ever be offensive to someone else. And since then, I've learned and grown. Um, and this conversation, now you and me, sparked uh, a much wider uh, array of, uh, on this topic. Is it cultural appropriation to teach yoga as a white woman? Uh, which for me is, uh, you know, was a big blow—not just to my ego, but to my—it um, it came on as a threat to my entire identity. So I was kind of faced with a social media storm of, oh, are you going to have a conversation on on intersectional feminism and then speaking about you know women of color and how you can support, but here you are making a living off of a practice that comes from uh, from from the Indian culture without honoring that culture. Uh, so I did not take that very well. And I, and I can, you know, I, I just released a podcast today with Susana Barkataki. Her name is speaking on this topic specifically. So it's not where we're going to go into the depths of with, with you today. But I really sat with that, um, being on the other end of uh, what for me You know, was a lot of aggression, a lot of anger, uh, for what what for me immediately looked like a really personal attack, Uh, and there was one or or one woman specifically that was kind of, um, yeah, it, it got really, really, really hard for me to listen, so. Uh, and, and and I, and I didn't want to block her. I didn't want to shut her, you know, shut the conversation down at all. So I kind of uh, let everything stay there. But I had to sit with the fact of, okay, how can I have this conversation while feeling like I'm under personal attack? And I was trying to find a way to distinguish or to separate what I felt was a personal attack from the validity of this woman's uh, questions, the validity of her anger, the validity of her emotions. She has all the right to be angry. She has really important points, but. It was so hard for me to listen, really. And yeah. I'm I'm just trying to be really honest, um, saying that because I want to listen.
1: I think I think so. there's so many white women, in my experience, um, and with that situation, with other situations, in a million ways that people of color are coming in to say, "Listen to how you're hurting me. Listen to how we need you to support us." I think that, and and like I said earlier, you know being caught out isn't the worst thing that can happen if you can and, and you can't you can't possibly imagine the type of pain that is felt in the lives in the DNA in the blood in the personal stories and the ancestral understandings of what people of color are going through and so I think that it's not only fair but absolutely necessary that white people be willing to be un- you're literally just uncomfortable no one you know that it, it's just it's just discomfort and so I think I think that white people really need to take a moment and say, "I can be uncomfortable because entire generations of their identity have been not just uncomfortable, have been killed, have been raped, have been snatched away from their homes, have their entire cultures have been taken away." And so, I think that it's imperative that um, white people begin to sit in that discomfort, and we need to stop giving, you know, as much as the effects of this are, appro- are appreciated just like when Anne Hathaway made a post about Nia Wilson um, back when Nia was murdered and Anne Hathaway came on and she said, you know, we need to start listening to black people. Then all of a sudden, Anne Hathaway was like the queen of the world for caring about Black people. All of a sudden, we're not giving out cookies for for white people caring about us. All of a sudden, it's this isn't this isn't something you're gifting us. It's something that's imperative. And so I think um, as you continue, you know, to open your eyes to what's happening and how the work you do is affecting people of color and anyone else who's listening who is really starting to. Swallow how they have either benefited from the oppression of people of color, benefited from colonization, um, benefited from their own seat. At the table of privilege from having white skin, I think it's imperative that you both sit with that discomfort, really sit with it. Don't just say, like, oh, look at me, I'm being uncomfortable. Like, really sit with it and say, wow, this is nothing in comparison to what other people have experienced. But then also your next steps should always be to take immediate action. And there's just no room for, um, I don't know, there's no room for glorifying basic humanity. And I think that's fair for white people. Yeah, for white people to call each other out on that as well to say, like, oh, okay, I'm glad, let's move forward. And I'm really, and Rachel, with the work that you're doing, I'm really excited to see other studios follow suit, other teachers follow suit, because it's really meaningful work that will hopefully, this hopefully, this will be a wave in change instead of just the trickling that it's been happening lately.
0: Right, right. Yeah, and I think I like to think if I would find myself in a in a similar situation again, that I could have a a different reaction. I think it's hard when, when the, when there's a platform is so wide and there are so many different um, people engaging in conversation at the same time. So I I was trying to sort of immediately shift the conversation over to, to the blog or to articles or to the podcast, um, you know, in a space where I could also listen because I I had to, it took me a couple of days. How can I separate? Uh, In this case, there was a hashtag started boycott yoga girl. I mean, there was a, a lot of things that for me didn't feel right for me to stay in that space because I felt uh, like, yes, it's a big topic for sure, but I felt like it was also really personal. So <laughs> a few a few people, because of this, because of course other people started engaging in the conversation and came to my defense and they thought, oh, but this woman is bullying Rachel and Rachel is trying to do this work, blah, blah, blah. And I was, you know, I don't need anyone to come to my defense and this is my work to do. Yeah. Uh, but I could also see how it was sort of an inevitable social media storm and eventually turned into a total shit show where there, there was all out. Racist comments in that feed. There were uh, a lot of tone policing from left and right, uh, and in the end, this woman was uh, was fully blocked from Instagram. I don't know if she was reported because of of something, but yeah, that's I, so I unfortunate. You know, Yes, super unfortunate. And I've been see, trying to see if someone knows her personally, if I can um, through my social media kind of bring her voice back and, and and bring her followers back to her her space. But I have been unsuccessful so far. Um, so now, I mean, this was one of the big end results I had um, talking about this topic on on, on last week's podcast uh, was I wish I could sit with her right now, really, and 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 you know realizing that the discomfort for me to have someone start a hashtag online or you know. It's it's very pale in comparison to, um, to the suffering that, that that people of color experience every day and have for for generations. So, yeah. um, I I have learned from this, and I'm 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 super sorry that the situation ended that way. But I'm also trying to, uh, how can I educate people that follow me that are white that are mainly women that really genuinely you know just felt like they were coming to my defense and hear it now it's bullying and I can't listen to you when you bully.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, especially when uh, there was a lot of comments in there uh, that say, "Oh, but you know, uh, racism isn't real anymore." <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed yeah. to say this, but uh, there, I saw a comment like, "Slavery has ended." Can you can we all get on with Girl, our lives? Girl, I have right seen now? it
1: all. You don't have to tell me. That I have seen uh, uh, yeah, no, it I and mean, sure. every comment that can be made, and these are all just ways that people try to dismiss the realities in order to make themselves more comfortable. Because there's nothing about any news source that you could go through right now that doesn't remind us that racism is very real and that it's something that needs to be acknowledged and dealt with on a daily basis. The work has to be done. And so um, these are just, yeah, these are just ways for people to easily dismiss the realities. And it's, and you know who dismisses them? People who don't have to deal with them. Of course it's easy for them to dismiss it because it doesn't affect their family or their livelihood or their bodily safety. And so, um I'm happy this conversation is being had because there's so much for everyone to learn if we're really going to take big leaps forward.
0: And what about in this
1: specific field?
0: So, so in the wellness field or the field of spirituality, yoga, um, white women that are leaders in this specific field, um, do you have any specific pieces of advice? Uh, for someone like me in, in this position with the privilege that I have um,
1: doing what I do? I'm not um, I, I'm not an expert in the field, obviously. There's um, Layla Said, She has a, and I hope I said her last name correctly. I'm so sorry, Layla, if I didn't. But she has a really great blog post right now that um, speaks to the spirituality and wellness community, specifically the white women within it. I'll, I'll give that to you so that you can share yeah, it. I follow her. Okay. Oh, awesome. Gonna, yeah. She's lovely. Yeah, yeah. She has a really great piece. And so I think that um, my only real experience with women in this space was from conversations that I had based on things like a post that I recently set that I recently um, put out and I've done it a few times now and it's always had a very interesting conversation come out of it basically saying maybe you manifested it but maybe it's just your white privilege and so there's so much that there's so many layers to one's existence and one's experience. And often um, in the spirituality world, it gets bypassed. And that's one of the words that um, a conversation that has come up, spiritual bypassing in which you'd rather deal or, um, you know, approach situations in a way that completely bypasses reality in order to sit into the comfort of, you know, your own personal understanding of spirituality. So um, just for example, a really, interesting space of like i said that post that said maybe you manifested it maybe it's your white privilege there's an entire history within the U- us specifically in which black families literally did not have the chance to develop wealth it was very very rare that they were able to buy a home in order to you know get get wealth from their property or be able to own a business there are many many laws that restricted that and so now, um, white families are much further ahead in their ability to gain wealth than black families. And so, when people are saying, you know, like, yeah, I manifested this really great life for myself, actually, there are a lot of factors in play within the American law system. And I'm speaking from America here, but the American law system that allowed you to you and your family to be in a space to even launch um, from the pad of privilege that you're at. And so things like that, and really considering where spirituality crosses over with the realities of social constructs. And I think that's a fair thing for people in the spiritual world to really start considering. And then also looking at the things that are popular in the wellness world and where those things are appropriated from. Really doing your research and not just being comfortable with like, oh, this is how we've always done it. And oh, my intention wasn't to hurt anyone. Um, The thing that I preach most is that intention doesn't erase impact. And until you do the research and figure out where things are coming from and who might be affected by it, um, you need to do your due diligence to ensure that you're not hurting people regardless of what your intent is
0: hmm and something as, uh, as as wishing someone a love and light. Oh, and yes. there's Another question that came in: <laughs> How can wishing someone love and light ever be seen as offensive? I know the. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, is, let me I tell know, you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think I think the the way that I get well, one it it's often a very dismissive at the end of a conversation. Um, you know, if there's a very heated or very emotional conversation that has come over, um, often some women will say, "Well, I guess we just don't agree." Wishing you love and light, and they feel like that has put them in the upper hand, like, well, I'm the good person who is now which witch than love and light. So I'm ultimately giving off the best energy, which means that I'm the best person in this situation. And love and light I use that I use that phrase often. I, it's it's not I'm not against the use of the term love and light, but I think that it has become some type of blanketed term for I'm a good person, and so I'm going to walk away and hope that you find goodness too. When that's not at all the case, many many racists sign their emails with love and light. Many many people who are very rude and very irrational sign off you know things with love and light. And um, one way that this comes up very often is when Um, You know, a topic of race comes up and someone goes, well, why can't we just love? Why can't we just, I choose peace. I choose to see peace. And if you keep talking about negative things, then that's the only thing that's going to keep showing up. No, that's not that's not how it works. Um, in order for my voice to be heard, and in order for me to advocate for myself, I have to bring up all of the horrible things that are happening to me. Because if I don't, you're all going to say you're colorblind and you don't see it, and it doesn't really happen. And so it's very dismissive and irrational for people to come in and say, "Well, let's just—I don't want to talk about you know the preschool to prison p- pipeline. Let's just talk about love. I don't want to talk about the irrational." Um, maternal mortality rates for black women. Let's just talk about love. No, talking about love is not going to erase these entire systems that are killing us or that are destroying us. And so I often say, I want you to go into a homeless shelter and say, let's just love our way to a new home. I want you to go into an orphanage and say, let's just love your way into a new family. That's not how it works. And I am a huge advocate to say, love is action. I don't care about your words, and I have a quote that has been floated around. I don't want your love and light unless it comes with solidarity and action. And if your love and light means closing our ears and eyes to what's actually happening, that's not love and light. I'm assuming that what you mean is the truest sense of love which means ensuring that everyone gets justice and everyone is able to live a life of dignity and opportunity thank you for 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 sharing that and
0: once you have that um, that sort of looking when it comes to these spiritual quotes and you uh, spiritual bypassing is everywhere I mean it's it's quite Literally, or maybe just in my world because I'm in the yoga yeah. world, but um, another... A quote or something I see floating around a lot is that um, you know pain is inevitable, but suffering is is optional. You know, it's 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 very easy to say if you just stepped off your yoga mat, but yeah. recognizing that even being able to practice yoga, you know, it's it's a massive privilege to to have that yeah. um, that, that money, that time, that ability to to create yeah. that for yourself. To even do that spiritual work, yeah. um, we can't do that spiritual work if we're worried about putting food on the table. It's not possible. Yeah. Um, so, so recognize. And a huge part of yoga is seva, is is, is giving back and being of service. Um, so, speaking from from that standpoint, uh, because that, that's uh, questions I get normally, not just in relation to this this uh, conversation, but um, I, I do a lot of work in terms of, of of wanting to be of service and giving back. So, we have several nonprofit organizations and foundations that we work with, and a lot of people that have um, found yoga and start to work on themselves. Uh, inevitably find themselves in a place where they want to do something good. So something that has been um, also quite a, a current topic is the, the topic of being a white savior or white savior complex. Yeah. Um, could we touch on that a little bit? Because uh, some people were asking if I want to do something good and I'm trying to be of service, is there ever a way for that to backfire if I have good intentions?
1: Yeah, I think that the topic of intentions and intent is always going to be something that needs to be discussed. But I think that... Um, and I wish I had them on me right now, but it's quick Google search, I'm sure, that for white people to really consider why they're doing something. Because a lot of times, and this shows up mostly in a lot of the volunteer travel trips where white people go into brown places, brown spaces, um, and they go there and they're taking pictures with kids and they're showing themselves doing really good work, but they're giving no dignity to the people that they're they're supposedly helping and they're giving no um, real true service besides anything that will make them feel good about what they're doing. And so um, there's a lot of very intense and very uncomfortable self-reflection that needs to be done. Before going into spaces of marginalized groups and doing it to quote unquote help, um, there's lots and lots that has been written on this. And so um, there's no lack of information on being able to gain that understanding. But I think that it all begins with really saying, why am I going into this specific group? Why am I going to do this specific work? And that's, and I mean, Not all volunteer work is, you know, geared directly towards black and brown spaces. So it's not like this is something that um, white saviorism – it's something that I think everyone needs to consider as they're going into spaces to help any type of um, less fortunate person. But I think that specifically there has been this very – disgusting and uncomfortable and irrational way that, um, volunteerism in Brown countries has become more of an opportunity for, um, you know, photo ops and pats on the back, as opposed to ensuring doing deep research and ensuring that the work that you're doing is truly benefiting those that, um, that you're reaching in those spaces and so when we see pictures of blonde girls with brown kids um you know with whatever homely situation that they're in it's always very concerning because if you you think like would you want your child's photo all over the internet when you're in your worst of situations just so that the person there could feel good about what they're doing there's so much to consider and I think that it's imperative that people begin to do the inside work um, before going out and doing things that they, their intentions may be good, but there's some underlying consciousness and biases that need to be worked through. And that's the work that people need to do. You are listening to From the Heart, Conversations
0: with Yoga Girl. I'm launching a big initiative in this coming week, so I know exactly what it feels like to be behind the scenes of operations, feeling nervous, overworked, stressed, but mostly excited. When you're beginning a new enterprise, the logo you tie to your projects is one of the most important pieces. But finding that logo is often the most daunting part when you have so many things to do. The next time you're in need of that perfect design for anything at all, try Design Crowd. DesignCard is a website that helps entrepreneurs, startups and small businesses outsource or crowdsource custom logos, business cards, web designs and more. That means you work with many designers from around the world who compete to win your budget. It's super awesome for small businesses that need top international design talent at a low cost. Founded by two university friends at home in Sydney, Australia, DesignCrowd has grown to a team of 50 staff and 600,000 designers from around the world. To date, they have completed $30 million worth of projects. Try it out today. Just post information on their website describing the design that you need. Within hours, you'll receive your first response. Then pick your favorite design, approve the payment. It's as easy as that and almost impossible to find nothing you like. There's no risk that one designer won't nail down your brief. You have access to over 600,000 minds to help you out. But no worries, DesignCrowd also has a money back guarantee if nothing suits you. Start any project from just $99. Launch your new logo or rework an existing design. DesignCrowd is here to help you with all your creative needs. For a special $100 VIP offer for our listeners, check out designcrowd.com slash girl to learn more and to save up to $100 when you start your next project. That's designcrowd.com slash girl. D-E-S-I-G-N-C-R-O-W-D dot com slash girl, Or simply enter the discount code yoga girl when posting a project on DesignCrowd. I have been uh, contemplating a lot the 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 energy of 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 having an entire world of white people sitting with, um, sitting with this discomfort. Some people addressing it, and some people not, and some people awakening to it now and wanting to do the work, but not knowing how to. Um, do you, do you think part of why this is challenging, and part of why there is also this, uh, this this idea of oh, but I'm, um, I help people of color, so I can't be racist. You think they go hand in hand with wanting to, um, I guess, fix or sort of step away from a place of shame for uh, having that kind of privilege? Do you think those things are connected?
1: Yeah, that's there's a term for that. It's called exceptionalism, where a, where a person yeah. feels that they are exceptional. They are not part of the problem. And so therefore, they um, just don't have to sit and consider and think about these things. And I think that one of the places that this shows up a lot is, you know, white teachers, in urban places where they're teaching mostly black kids. They'll say, well, I work with black kids every day. I can't be racist. But oftentimes they have these deep biases that show up in their classroom, show up in the way that they're interacting with people. Race Anti-racist work is an ongoing thing. It'll never be done. There's no there's no certificate at the end of the course. There's no type of, you know, ribbon that you get once you get to a space of I'm not racist. We live in a society that has literally been built completely on the marginalization and the oppression of brown and black people. And so it is until and I say this quote often, uh, you know, white privilege is like a wheel. Every single white person is a spoke. And until like one person might come off and, but until the entire wheel, like everyone's spinning on it, everyone's moving forward, all the white people are to, continuing to um, progress, even if some of the spokes are a little bit broken, even if someone's a little bit woke, there's a little bit of a tweak, There's this wheel's still spinning and they're still going to benefit. Until that wheel is completely dismantled, all white people will benefit from it and all white people have to continue doing the work until this system of white supremacy and black oppression is completely dismantled.
0: So uh, uh, my next question, but you, you you've answered it already. But uh, is it possible to be racist while truly believing you are not in your heart? So there's been a lot of really well-meaning, and I can really sense this this you know. And then I, and I'm the same. This urgency to to show the world, but hey, I am not racist. I believe in equality for all. We are all. We all have the same worth. Everyone is worthy of the same good life. Um, Is it possible to be racist while truly believing in your heart that this is not
1: the case? I know the direct answer is no. And it's because racism, I think there's a lot of this deep seated understanding and it's because it's the way that it's been taught to us or been understood by us via, you know, media outlets that racism is you know white hoods and lynchings and slavery and very big grandiose actions when when we come out of the womb we are born into a racist society in which there is this immediate uh, existence in a space where your skin color will determine a lot for you and so there is no Way until the entire thing is overthrown, (laughs) that people are going to be able to sit in a space and say, I'm not one of the ones. There's no exceptionalism. But what there is are people who are very actively and intentionally anti racist. And I see it every day. I see it, you know, I have tons of followers who are all doing, who, not all, who many, many are doing the work in order to progress in their anti racism. There's a lot of people who are continually asking themselves the questions, continuously calling people out, continuously ensuring that they're doing the work in their space to say, what marginalized voices do I need to hear from? There's going to be a continuous need for white women to do the internal work and say, what is it that I need to do to be actively and intentionally anti-racist? It is not, and Angela Davis says this, it is not ever, ever enough to just say that you're not racist. You have to be actively anti-racist. And for us to say um, that that is an active thing, I don't think anyone can ever sit in the comfort of saying, I'm not racist racist, if anything, the best you can say is that I am a person who is actively anti-racist.
0: Hmm. That's, a, that's a great, great way to answer that question. And I think, um, get going out of your way to make space for people of color. And this is something that um, that, that I have not done because I've been so fearful of, well, if I, if I acknowledge that there is color, that that in itself would be racist so no we're not going to offer our trainings to a, a you know discounted price because of the color of someone's skin that that in itself would be racist ignoring the fact that um you know we've kind of become this institution where we're not holding that space for for women of color um so how can i m- maybe stretch or step into other communities more to to raise women and people of color up uh, i've been you know sitting with this idea that I'm completely colorblind and inclusive of all, but if all the people I interact with on a daily basis are all white, um, I'm, I haven't made any effort to stretch across that border um, and and even look
1: or even try. Yeah, and, and it's, I, it's, I think it's super important in having that understanding. Um, there's this... It's it's just so interesting. Two two points that I'd love to bring out of that conversation is, one, it's imperative that people, like I said, are actively and intentionally making sure that they're listening to other voices and they're including them. What does your timeline look like? What does your bookshelf look like? What does your music look like? What are your kids reading? What characters are they seeing? Um, Who do they see as valuable? Who do they see as the hero? Who's always the villain? You know, like really being aware of these things, but also your own internal biases of like why did I feel like white people were the best people I should be listening to? Why did I feel like white people were the authority in every space, every time? And so I think that as people begin to do internal work like that, um, you'll really be able to see, you know, like your unconsciousness was also your bias your unconscious understanding was also the biases that were instilled in you and all of us because of the way that society works and the world that we were born into. And so um, I hope that you know this Continue, you continue to bring in other voices and I hope that your listeners who also um, have a space of authority or leadership or you know um, influence are able to say wait a minute if I'm only listening to white spaces and white voices and white experiences there's so much that we're missing out on and it's not even like a tokenizing like oh we need to get a black person in here like there's a literal genius in the millions of black people in the world and there's so much that the world is missing out on because their voices aren't being heard oh a thousand thousand percent um because i'm not thinking about it yet again
0: because i don't have to think about it yeah so yeah Um, yeah, it's definitely, definitely something that, um, that won't remain, remain the same as I move forward. And already recognizing this in, just sort of the conversations that I'm having in my own family, my own uh, my husband, for instance, I mean he's he's been been I mean, his whole life in Aruba. Uh, he's been here since he was nine months old his His family is native to the island. Uh, he grew up sort of the only white kid in class uh, and and that fact has sort of um I, I can I can listen to it now in conversations, but like but but you know. I never had a lot of white friends growing up. Like, there's no way I could have ever been racist, like, at all. Um, so this is an, another question that came up a lot: uh, What if we have a ton of b- black friends, or there's, um, you know, a w- woman wrote she has a she's married to a to a to, a, to a black guy, and they have uh, kids of, of color, and she said it's not possible for me to be racist. Is it possible to be racist and um, live in a family of 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 mixed ethnicity, for
1: instance? So I've learned in my work that one of the only The few ways that white women are able to have discussions about race is when it's in context of the patriarchy um, and misogyny. So to those people who are saying, you know, but I have black friends or but I'm married to a black man or I have black kids, I am happy to tell you that horribly misogynistic men also have mothers and they have sisters and they have daughters and they're married to women and they still are very shitty men who benefit from the patriarchy. And in this in that same way there are racist women who are married racist white women who are married to black men and they have black children and they have black friends and they still live in white skin and they benefit from white privilege in the same way that men still benefit and, you know, are able to move through the world with the benefits of the patriarchy, even though they have wives and mothers and sisters and daughters and girls who are friends. It doesn't make them any less of a benefit to the patriarchy as well as we, and I'm Sure, we can all attest to many really shitty, misogynistic men who have all of those things. So, no, it is not an excuse. And if anything, if you're raising black children and you're married to a black man, you really need to be doing the work to ensure that you're not um, being complicit to a lot of the systems that are affecting them in ways that you will never know or understand simply because you're not in black skin. Yes, this is. Uh, yeah, I, I can sort of
0: already feel the the, the, the social media field rattling. Same <laughs> with <laughs> with what's gonna come in after this. Um, what what I can say from someone who, who had a yeah a, a, a starting point in having this conversation publicly and out loud on a big public platform. Um, this learning curve, which is like, like it's it's embarrassingly late for me, but it's been really really quick. Like I, I I've been able to go from oh my god, like it's very hard, like I can't listen to you when you're yelling. To oh my god, this is this is this is um, yeah, I can't believe I haven't held this space for these conversations long 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 ago. You are listening to From the Heart Conversations with Yoga Girl. One of the most important things we do for our health every day is brush our teeth. In fact, Dennis, Luna and I usually do it as a family, after breakfast and right before we drop Luna off at daycare. But so many of us are actually brushing our teeth the wrong way without even knowing it. With Quip helping me out, let's talk mouth care facts. Quip is the next level electric toothbrush. This company knows how to make sure you're getting the best brush every time. To help guide you through a full and even clean, Quip has built in two minute timers that pulses every 30 seconds so you know when to switch sides. And did you know a striking 90% of us don't brush our teeth for the full two minutes and don't clean our mouths evenly? Well, let's change that. On top of that, Quip has sensitive sonic vibrations, so this toothbrush is gentle enough for all gums, even if yours are extra sensitive. Most people brush too hard and some electric toothbrushes can be way too abrasive, but Quip has found that perfect balance. For added convenience, Quip has a multi-use cover. If you're at home, this cover mounts to your mirror to declutter your sink and your cabinet. And if you're on the go, the cover will protect your bristles, keep them clean and make traveling with your toothbrush way easier. Not only does Quip has no inconvenient or clunky charger, it runs for three months on one charge, which is absolutely amazing and revolutionary. Here's another fact. Did you know that three out of four of us use bristles that are old worn and ineffective. That's why Quip delivers new brush heads on an automatic and dentist recommended schedule every three months for just $5. Quip is one of the first electric toothbrushes to be accepted by the American Dental Association. They have thousands of verified five-star reviews. Dennis, Luna, and I included you. Could be next. That's why I love Quip, and that's why they're backed by over 20,000 dental professionals. Quip starts at just $25, and if you go to getquip.com right now, you get your first refill pack for free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That's your first refill pack for free at getquip.com. Getquip.com slash yoga girl. So, anyone listening, if anything that we're speaking on right now, if it sits off with you or if it triggers you or if it makes you feel like oh my god can't believe she said that I have to go online now and and fight this um, yeah what would you suggest Rachel to I guess to not dive into reaction immediately as a as a white person um, do you have any advice on how to to listen even if the person we're speaking to might be upset or angry or um, if, if, if it's a challenging conversation
1: yeah I mean As I mean, I try to think about it in ways in which I am someone who is part of the privileged group, like, um, you know, when I'm listening to. Trans people tell me their experiences, and it might make me uncomfortable. Or I'm like, I have no clue what you're talking about, or that doesn't have to do with me. It's really so irrational for me to be dismissive of another person telling me their experiences solely based on my own one comfort level or my own understanding. You have to recognize that we all move through the world very differently, and it is our responsibility to, re- if we if we're part of the movement, in order to um, get social justice for everyone. I think that it is. Our responsibility to say, hey, I, I'm here for you and I've declared myself someone who wants to be here for you. So tell me what I need to know in order to act better on your behalf because you're the expert of you. I you know I could I could never speak on behalf of you. And so I think that um, really considering, maybe the first question people need to ask is, am I actually an ally? That's the first question. Like, if you're uncomfortable, say, wait, okay, make the decision right now. Are you an ally? And if you are, that means that you need to listen. And so if you're listening, that means you need to step out of your ego, which also is a word in the spiritual realm, a lot of saying stepping out of your ego. And I think it never shows up more than in conversation of race. But to step out of your ego and your own comfort and say, okay, let me give this person space to um, express their experience in the way that my experiences are often expressed. And also, you know, like I said, it sucks that... White women can only really come to um, empathy with people of color when it's brought in the conversation of the patriarchy. But I'm hoping that they'll be able to frame their mind in the way that, you know, when before before any of you come on to my Instagram page after this podcast comes out to say not all white women are like that. I'm one of the good ones or whatever it is that you have to say. Consider how utterly annoying it would be if a man if we had a huge conversation about feminism and a man took the time to come over and say I'm really glad you felt the need to express yourself but guess what not all men that would just it's just irrational and it's and we all get frustrated by it and so really can start to frame this conversation in ways that you might understand better to give you a starting point but then dig deeper and recognize that you need to step out of yourself and your own feelings around it in order to give um space and a voice to those who are demanding to be heard because for so long we were not
0: and what about when a conversation like this when it's sort of I mean I'm sure you see that a lot if it starts to derail um, specifically in social media Uh, I guess this is a a two-part question do you think it is efficient to have these conversations in social media and what do you do if um, if things get extremely heated, because I, I am, you know, this is almost like a logistical question for me. Uh, I never block people in social media. I mean, never have um, like extreme cases, um, but I, I try to allow discussion to 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 flourish always. And uh, I haven't seen attacks and this sort of viciousness as. I did these past couple of weeks on the question of race. Yeah. So one, it came with a realization of, okay, I have a lot of ignorant people in my community. Uh, it, it went from, from you know, being, okay, well, I want to defend Rachel over here to something scary really, really fast. Um, yeah. What do you do in those cases? And do you think it's a, is it a, is it a constructive way to, to talk?
1: I mean, social media isn't the only way that this information and this understanding can be consumed. Um, I think one, and I say this to my audience all the time: you need to sit back and listen. If if the topic at hand is people of color, then let people of color talk about this issue, and you sit back and listen. Also, there, Google is so free. And there are so many options of what you can read and what you can listen to and what you can watch that will literally give you all the information that we're talking about. Um, You know, there's the... The Netflix, um, the Netflix movie Thirteenth. It's a documentary about the prison system and how it um, relates to slavery. There's a billion um, really great written pieces, um, whether it's books or articles. I have in the link in my bio. I have tons of resources that people can read through. So if you're feeling uncomfortable or you're feel or even angry or even frustrated, take that moment to consider whether you want to speak from a point of frustration and anger. Um, To defend yourself against more marginalized people because that's never a good look. Also, um, take that as a moment to say, okay, let me educate myself as deeply as possible on both sides. So, Because believe me, people of color are incredibly educated on the experiences of white people because that's all that's ever given in media, in books, in everything. So we're speaking from a very understanding position of both our side and the side that our society is drenched with in terms of the white experience and the white understanding. If you want to be in a critical conversation, I would i hold people to very high expectations of education and if you really want to dig deep with me about race um you can either listen to me because i'm speaking as the expert here as a person of color or you can go and read and do and have a deeper understanding on your own so that it can be engaging instead of reactive
0: thank you thank you thank you thank you you answer that so 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 eloquently yeah uh, I feel like uh, I hope that many people that participated in this conversation through my personal social media feed over the past few weeks um, get answers to their questions in a yeah in in a way that really lands uh, because there were many people in those comment feeds trying to make the same points uh, but I mean we all know that there's something about social media that makes yeah um, yeah it makes it harder when it gets heated yeah um, it, it it really does but yeah I think it's also important that we have that conversation everywhere right I mean I, I wouldn't say as, as a feminist oh we're not going to talk about <laughs> about feminism here you know it's yeah, not an appropriate yeah. place It's appropriate Every everywhere place. yeah right everywhere is appropriate um, but I think we can all choose to to educate ourselves in the f- mediums and the forms that that allow us to listen and learn the quickest yeah so. Um, for me, you know podcast is a great way and you have a, uh, a bunch of podcasts that I listened to before before talking to you today that were also really um, really helpful on the, on the topic. So I'll be sharing Rachel's website and everything and, and all the all the descriptions and links and everything to this when this podcast is live. Awesome. Um, there's a uh, one or two more things I want to just uh, yeah. touch on this was a really great question that came in. I'm gonna read it as is because she, uh, she phrased it so well. So, uh, I wanna support all women in any position, but especially given, I, w- I wanna especially give opportunities for women to move up within my company to shatter that glass ceiling. I try all the time to be culturally and racially sensitive and making extra effort to make these opportunities happen for women of color. However, I'm wondering is there a
1: point where as a white woman, I start to become too much help? Absolutely. I think that there is a point where you could become too much help. But I think the way to eliminate that is just listen to people of color. Just listen to them. Literally sit with your employees and say, what is it that you need to feel supported? Where is it that you're feeling not supported? Um, What are the ways in which you're experiencing, you know, things that you think might be attributed to race and really listen to them and hear them because they're going to be the experts in the area. And I think it's so interesting that people um, pull in specifically white people to come in and be like diversity I don't know, like do diversity workshops. Literally, you just have to listen to the people of color who are working for you and they will tell you everything that you need to know about Mm. um, how what you're doing is affecting them um, or, you know, not really giving them the opportunities that they need. And so my suggestion is to deeply invest in listening to the people of color who are working for you and ask, literally just ask them what they need and what they're seeing and how they're feeling, because they will, they will, I'm, I promise you, they're talking about it amongst themselves. So, um, if you just ask them to be a part of that conversation, I promise you will get whatever answers you are looking for. How <laughs> that's such a, how,
0: how interesting! How much how many resources is brought in for this, especially in big corporations? Yeah. I find instead of just uh, yeah having the direct conversations with the people that <laughs> yeah. affects every day, yeah. Um, so this next question I have is very, it's very personal for me and I'm hoping I don't come off sounding like a total idiot I almost wasn't gonna ask this but I'm gonna anyway because it's one of the things that I know if I don't I'll be left wondering uh, so I don't know if you if you uh, uh, read this already but uh, I have in the in the very back of my neck back of my back of my head I have a braid that I have had then this was also a big topic of controversy over the past couple of weeks uh, that I have had for over a decade uh, there was just once a braid that my my best friend braided my hair over a decade ago uh, and wrapped it in string and I've had it since she passed away four years ago so it's become one of those things that um, that just deeply remind me of 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 my closest friend and now that we're having these conversations and I had a a photo where I sort of had my um, um, it's become a dread underneath it and I shared that in social media and then someone said oh my god can't believe you're having these conversations about race and you are sitting here you know culturally appropriating black appropriating black culture with this um braid that you have in the back of your head Uh, cut it off immediately and again my first reaction is like you know what are you are you you know like immediate kind of gut reaction of no 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 and then I realized after sitting with it for a few days oh that's sort of the same reaction I had when I wore a bindi you know years and years ago uh, that it was something so emotional to me and how could that ever be offensive and this for me is something i have never related once to 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 race or culture Um, but could me having this braid at the back of my head be appropriating black culture
1: um it could i don't i'm not a expert in in dreads or braids or (laughs) hair. So I would, in in any situation where someone's asking a question, like, could I be appropriating? I think that you have now been called to task to do deep research into, and by deep research, I mean, like, You know, past page three of the Google search, where I'm sure there's like lots of information on this. But my, um, I think that it's fair that this is a good example. And I'm interested to see, um, you know, your journey in figuring this out from this conversation on. But it's important that if it's been called, to your attention by a person of color who's saying like, hey, what you have going on is a little offensive to me. That is an immediate, um, you know, understanding like, okay, this is worth me doing my research. And so I... Um, I might have been a research for you in this moment, but I, re- I genuinely don't know the answer to that. So I would definitely encourage you to look a little deeper into the topic of dreads. Um, like I said, I, I don't know much about it. It's not something that I personally, um, I don't have, my hair is completely cut off, but <laughs> I don't have dreads. But no, I think- and I'm, and,
0: I'm, and I'm like, almost didn't ask. I'm like, this is gonna come off sounding so stupid. No, it's totally
1: valid. It's totally valid that um, it, the conversation of dreads is something that's brought up Just in the news recently, there's a little girl in Jamaica who her mother was told that she would have to cut off her daughter's dreads if she wanted to send her to this specifically prestigious school because they said that it was like unsanitary. And so that's yeah. yeah. So there, so dreads are something that are very deep to um, the culture of Black people, and so um, it's absolutely worth you doing the research and coming to um, make a decision and maybe speak to people who do have dreads and hear what they have to say about it.
0: Yeah, and this becomes also, because this, of course, affects, you know, there's so many, so many, we take part of so many different cultures every single day and this is, a really big, a big, a big thing to sit with. Uh, so it, it kind of posed the next question, like, but what if I didn't create this threat intentionally? Like, is that okay or is it not? Uh, and it is, as you say, it's, it's my, my research to continue to do and I will. Um, but a lot of people were asking, oh, wait, am I not allowed to eat sushi anymore? Or can I not, you know, enjoy like listening to that music? Um, and so for anyone who has more, you know, deep questions on cultural appropriation specifically and also how it relates to yoga uh the podcast of last week with Susana Barkataki explained it super well in that what brings more union and what creates less separation uh in that internal and it's absolutely an internal questioning uh leans toward appreciation not appropriation and we have to do the work each person to really um yeah, to look up and see, is this offending a lot of people? Is it causing a lot of separation? Um, am I appropriating or am I, am I appreciating? So in terms of food, uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's a totally different, different question altogether. Yeah. But this is not easy. <laughs> I, gotta, I gotta say, I gotta say, and I know also, you know, I mean, you, you know that too, like putting your life on social media, it opens us up to, uh, you know, to all sorts of questioning and judgment and yeah. and people giving, giving you their opinions from, from left to right. So um, what I'm really taking home is, okay, if it makes me uncomfortable, um, chances are that there is something there and that, yeah. uh, that I can only learn moving deeper into that place rather than say, hey, let's not talk about that. Let's go somewhere else. For sure. So uh, I'm still doing that work. Um, to close, um, kind of for me, at least going, uh, full circle in my own research, uh, what, what sparked this conversation in the very first place? Um, do you have any tangible advice, not just for me, but for any person that might be in a, in a similar position or a similar, similar space? Um, for me, the question is how can I make my, uh, yoga teacher trainings, my, my workshops, my retreats, uh, truly accessible for, um, for women of color, uh, in a in an authentic way in a way that isn't you know tokenizing in a way um in in a respectful way and actually make a difference do you have any advice
1: yeah i mean i think there's you know the the industry of yoga that has happened in western cultures is there's, you know, a lot of capitalism involved, how much things cost and what's available. So really looking and even looking at things like what does your advertisement look like? Is it because I know if I see a sign with a bunch of white women, I'm probably not going to want to attend because nothing in me wants to be in a room in which I'm the minority when I would which I'm intentionally the minority. And so looking at your advertising, looking at your pricing, looking at um where you're holding it at, looking at who your speakers are. Like you said, Rachel, you went into that space and was like, oh my gosh, it's all, there's only two people of color or there's no women. That's something that we do every time. So consider what needs to be available in terms of representation um, and access and just being wildly, wildly intentional, listening. There's so many incredible um women of color who are in the world of yoga as well, reach out to them and say, you know, what can we do? Just like with a business thing, talk to people of color and ask them what they need and they'll tell you exactly what they need. Hmm.
0: Thank, Thank you, you for that. Yeah. yeah, and we we are doing that work. What, what came up for me, which was so interesting, is uh, our studio here, our local classes, are so absolutely diverse. Uh, I mean, it's, it's really beautifully representative of the Aruban community. I mean, we have uh, literally... I would say, great diversity in terms of local classes, uh, but it does not look that way at all in, in our retreats and training. So there is something we're doing different, 100%. Uh, and I think it's a lot of it comes down to pricing. We make a huge effort to have local prices here and to um, to, to, to make the classes really accessible for everyone Uh, and we're not making that same effort in, uh, in retreats and trainings. So it's, I think it's might be even be work that we're doing already locally
1: that we can just translate, uh, to a global scale. I hope. Yeah. And I hope you can share whatever, whatever it is that you, which you deem as, you know, a working solution that many, many other studios and trainings are able to, um, learn and take that on and do it in their own communities. Yes, 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 yes. I'm going
0: to be sharing all of this. So, I mean, I've had now two, two podcasts in a row on this uh, on the topic of 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 race. Uh, the next one I record is going to be more personal to me. So, my own personal learnings and things we've. I am changing personally in my own outlook and what we're changing at the studio and in business. And I'm looking forward to to sharing this journey in just a in a humble way. Yeah. Um, so thank you so much for 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 choosing to 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 hold this space for 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 learning i mean this this cannot be an easy role to have and you just you, you you do it so beautifully so thank you so much for yeah for for taking your time to educate not just me but this whole community and everyone you touch on a daily basis
1: thank you so much rachel
0: Thank you for everyone listening. Follow Rachel.cargill on Instagram. You can go to rachelcargill.com. Uh, Rachel has amazing live webinars and lectures and great pieces of writing you can take part in to deepen your learning and understanding. And if you have questions or comments, uh, please voice them respectfully. And let's continue listening. Thank you so much. <laughs> A huge thank you to my beautiful guest this week, Rachel Cargill. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes of From the Heart Conversations with Yoga Girl. You can find all of them on rachelbreathan.com, on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or anywhere you normally get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you are there. Thanks to the folks at Cadence 13 for their production work. And of course, thanks to my sponsors, LaCroix, Molecule, Design Crowd, and Quip. Please support them the way they support this podcast. I'll see you next week.